This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here recording on a Thursday morning. Wild day, wild week in UCF land. It may get even wilder. We're going to talk about all of that and more leading off with our new athletic director, Terry Mohajer, coming down from Arkansas State. Guys, he was the surprise interview that we were wondering about last week. Remember that? The mystery candidate. The mystery candidate. The mystery machine came down from Jonesboro, Arkansas, carrying Terry Mohajer. Uh, we'll talk about uh, his introduction, update you on the football head coaching search, and uh, we'll also talk about basketball later on in the second segment. Uh, tough loss to Wichita State for the men's program last night. Women's is getting back underway after a break. Uh, and then uh, we'll also hit upon volleyball, men's soccer, women's soccer, a number of things in uh, in the third segment as we get started. Women's tennis, by the way, sweeping Florida this year in two matches. How about that, Eric Lopez? Uh, it's a good time to be alive. Should, here, should we folks. lead? Should we lead with that? No, we're going to lead with the new boss of UCF athletics. Uh, it the uh, hire came down. Well, basically, it came down late Tuesday. And uh, props to uh, Eric DeSalvo and the UCF uh, social media team for the. Did you see the the gif of the Roth Athletic Center with the the Pope chimney? Yes, I feel like that's, I feel like they've done that a few times. They did that for the, like the I think they did it for the last head you see football head coach I think they did. I think they've done that. I can't remember if they did or not. That's the first time I remember seeing it. But you know, I'm getting older and my memory fails me sometimes. But anyway, they more or less confirmed it uh, that night. And then uh, Wednesday morning, the official word came down that Terry Mohajer is the new. Uh, athletic director at UCF. He comes down from Arkansas State, where he was, uh, where which was his alma mater, by the way. Um, he was uh, the mystery candidate that apparently really blew away um, President Cartwright. Um, just some facts and figures on Terry. Um, he is uh, originally from Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, he has previously worked at uh, UMKC. At Florida Atlantic from 2004 to 2011, he was there for a long time. Uh, spent a couple years at Kansas as a senior associate AD and chief marketing officer before taking his first AD position at his alma mater, Arkansas State, back in 2012. He was there for nine years, oversaw a massive budget increase for a state, um, as reported by uh, USA Today, um, and uh, and really helped build Arkansas State into. Uh, into a real beast of a, of a program. Granted, you know, listen, Sunbelt program, right? Limited resources, uh, not exactly in the most favorable location in Jonesboro, yeah, it's a brutal Arkansas. Place. I, it's a brutal place. I mean, nobody, I mean, good Lord. What the hell? And and, I would get out of there too. <laughs> well, it, this is what he did with it. 18 conference championships, four of them in football in the Sunbelt. Two volleyball, two indoor and two outdoor track and field, two women's basketball, one men's basketball conference championships. Um, Arkansas State has turned themselves into a premier program in the Sun Belt. They maximized their potential under him, uh, and uh, and it, that's that's just the on-field results. Never mind the uh, never mind the off-the-field 
uh, results where they've run for, uh, where they've run a very clean program, um, and they've uh, and the, the uh, let's see, uh, what do they have? A all department GPA of three point one in twenty eighteen. That was a school record. Um, two hundred twenty three student athletes on the uh, honor roll that year. That was now granted that was a couple years ago, but still, um, their graduation success rate has continued under him. Um, and he got the alumni much more involved with the Red Wolf Club uh, and the Letterman's Club. So that's, the, you know, it, let's, okay, so he checks the boxes, right? On-field results, check. Fundraising, check. Alumni involvement, check. Academic performance, check. This guy checks all the boxes, and as we found out yesterday, he was, you know, he's, he's quite the character. He's, uh, my impression of him was, and I'll, Murph, I'll go to you because you were at the press conference yesterday first. My impression was he. This is like a slightly less polished Danny White plus fifteen years of experience. That's kind of my. That was kind of my impression. What did you think? I could see that. I just think that the thing that uh, caught me first is that all you know we had heard all about his energy and his enthusiasm, and it's really one thing that captivates you about him. Just the way he speaks and emotes, like it makes him. Uh, very, very captivating and very likable. And I, I, I found that almost immediately and really because he said near the top of his press conference, uh, he, uh, he like, like I think it was the first thing he said was, by the way, I want to let you know I'm an emotional guy. So I, I just wanted to get that out there right, right there. And less than a minute later, he is tearing up uh, and has to step back from the podium because he is getting so emotional while thanking his bosses and employees and staff at Arkansas State. That sort of, I mean, I know it sounds weird, but that sort of human emotion makes him very endearing because it makes him seem very everyman. He seems like just another normal Joe. And and for what his role is, which is obviously fundraising, raising the brand for UCF Athletics, uh, raising the outreach, that makes him uh, much more easy to connect to. Um, so I think I think that's why he makes a uh, you know he seems like the right choice as an AD because he can connect with people on a very just a basic level of just showing like yeah I'm I'm just like everyone else um, he didn't come off as haughty or you know holier than thou um, you know it was um, it was and he spoke frankly um, he used some 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 uh, interesting terms about like. Uh, you know, having to having to, you know, what do you have to do to, to raise money? And he goes, he goes, you have to, you know, kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince. But also, frogs give money too. Like that's <laughs> like, that sort of cute line is endearing. Um, so for what his job is, I thought that was great. He talked uh, about uh, meeting with the football players uh, yesterday, and they asked him about the head coaching search. And specifically, one player apparently asked him, "Do you think we'll find our next head coach within the next month?" Uh, and Terry's response to that was, I hope so, or else they're going to have to fire me. Um, so, again, uh, self-deprecating a little bit. Again, that's a, a positive. People love that. Um, it was a very endearing press conference. He said all the right things. He was enthusiastic, energetic, you know, talked talk about UCF being the, you know, wanting to, be, wanting to bring UCF to be the best athletics program in the nation. It sounds great. It all sounds great. I, I, I don't know what else we can really say other than, he, you know, he showed us why, you know, he, you know, uh, Cartwright had star, starry eyes for him. He just, he's a, he's a very, very uh, captivating speaker. 
He uh, he has a football background. He played safety at Arkansas State. Actually, was on a team that played UCF back in the day. Is that right, Eric Lopez? He was. Uh, he graduated in 1993. Um, initially, went into coaching. Uh, was a uh, was a, was an assistant coach on, at, at Kansas. Um, back when Kansas was good <laughs> in the in the early mid 90s, uh, and then and then decided to go into administration. Eric. I was uh, talking with some of my uh, with, with some folks who I speak to, uh, you know, when it comes to big things like this, and they they love this guy. He's uh, well, I'd he, hope so. That's their boss now. So they, well, I, I, I get it, but you know, I don't think I, they're going to say, "Man, we're screwed." No, man. I, no, I, I, I didn't. But I, but you know, usually I can kind of detect, like you know, you know how it is, like when somebody's like, "Well, we'll see," you know, I, you know, it, it's no, it, it it didn't. This was this was universally praised and. um the guy's a hustler, man. So, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I mean that in like he, you know, his reputation up at A State was, you know, he he works hard. He's a hustler. He gets he he gets the job done. Um, well, he's genuine. He's genuine. I think Brian kind of alluded to it. He's genuine. Uh, yeah. It's very a lot of authentic uh, deal. No offense to Danny. We all like Danny, but he's a bit of a car salesman, like most ads are. They have to be. That's part of the job is to be a car salesman. Uh, I grew up in a car you know, dealership, so I know all about it. Um, what? Wait, wait, wait. You I grew did. up in a car dealership? Yeah. My dad ho- 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 uh, owned a car dealership, so I spent a lot of weekends in car dealerships for many years. So I know how to hustle. Trust me on that. But I think with Terry, there's a bit of a, a genuine answer, and I really appreciated that. And there was one in particular. They asked him about being a part of the college football committee, playoff committee. And he was very upfront and honest about it, which is basically, hey, you got to win. The system is what it is. is got to pick the four best teams. And he actually did an interview, a one-on-one interview with Mark Daniels, where I thought it was even a more expanded answer, where he even said – you know, the process is not that complicated. You got to beat teams that you're not, quote, supposed to beat. And that's how you get in. And that's pretty much the story for every conference, he said, which tells me that he's basically saying schedule tough and you'll get a chance to play, which is what I've been saying for four years and five years. That's the, the recipe. And I think one of the big pluses about Terry, and you mentioned his football background is I think we will have a much better non-conference schedule, a much more challenging schedule. I think that Terry will be more open to ideas as far as scheduling than Danny was. And as a result, I think we're going to have more attractive opponents. And I think he wants to schedule tough because he believes that's the way to get into the playoff until the system changes. And I applaud that. And I think I applaud him being honest instead of just saying, yeah, we got – I'm all for the little guy. No, he's telling you the truth of how the process works. You know, Eric, going back to that uh, the question about uh, his spot on the CFP committee. So that question came from Andrew Adelson of ESPN. And at, I, I was struck by at the end of his answer when she said, you know, it's not really his decision to make. You know, here's what his job is. His job is to pick the best four teams. He says at the end of his answer, it was a pause. And then he goes and then he says to Andrea, I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but it's the truth. And so – even that sort of honesty, like knowing, yes. like, uh, you know, that honesty is, is, again, appealing. He said also in the presser that he's not one for AD speak. You know, he wants to be very open and honest and direct. Amen. And I saw that in this. Again, all these sort of attributes, uh, you know, make him uh, very attractive for those people who want to not only play here, but also give their money to this program. 
Well, I, I do think, and Bianchi kind of alluded to this, um, was that I, I do think that his answers to that question kind of signaled a break from, I think you're right, Eric, the, the Danny White, no more two, for, no two for ones thing. I think that, I think we might see that just go by the wayside now. Uh, I, and, and I think that's right. I think that was the one thing, and I want to, I'm going to write about this on Black and Gold Banneret. I think that's one of Danny White's gambles that didn't pay, uh, pay off was that. And, but Terry understands it. If we look at, their uh, schedule that he put together at Arkansas State, um, yeah, they're you know, and this is a Sun Belt team, right? So they're playing a couple teams that are also G fives, but they're also they also have Ohio State on their schedule. Uh, they have Michigan on their schedule. They have Washington on their schedule in um, in future seasons. Uh, Iowa, they've gotten Iowa State twice in a home and home. They got Texas A and M on their schedule in twenty twenty seven. So. You know, I mentioned Oklahoma. That's they, pretty darn good. That's, that's pretty. And, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I and I don't think he's just going to do two for ones. I think that's <clears> a miss. I, 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 let's not misrepresent there. I think he's going to be open to ideas. And the advantage that he has at UCF that he didn't, he doesn't have at Arkansas State, is the, for example, he doesn't. He could play a one off against top opponents in his backyard. There's the camping world. He can use yeah. the kickoff. And I think he's going. I my prediction is UCF will be playing in that Camping World kickoff game here in the very near future. I think he's going to use that to his advantage to draw opponents. I think he would be open to playing there, whereas I don't think Danny ever was open to playing there. Well, I don't know about that, but I do I do know that, um, you know, if you're UCF, right, even if you're looking for, if, if you're looking to schedule games, let's face it, UCF is a, is a pretty attractive, you know, out-of-conference opponent for a lot of schools out there because of, you know, let's face it, because of the controversy that Danny White stirred up three years ago with the national championship and and all of that, you know, it's it, it, people recognize UCF as a brand now. I think it's much more recognizable than Arkansas State. All due respect to the Red Wolves program, which beat our brains in, you know, in 2016 in that ball game. But yeah, we didn't care about that game. Well, 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 they did, and that's what matters. But. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm really, listen, I'm really excited to see what, what, what's going to happen now. So the first order of business for Terry and, and by the way, we're hoping, 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 fingers crossed, they will have him on the podcast at some point soon. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I've been told that his first and primary order of business right now, before he goes through the car wash is getting a, uh, no. is getting a football coach. What? Over talking to us? Yes. How dare he? Well, pr- I, well I, I'm, a, I'm offended. <laughs> Well, go be offended in your corner. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Listen, we're patient. Po- we're patient people over here at Black and Gold Banner. Our fans know this. Um, now, he was. Uh, well, let me let me play this bite from uh, Terry Mahajer in his press conference where he was asked about the football coach situation, and I thought he had some interesting things to say about you know. Basically, the the program is going to be bigger than just one person. Well, first, uh, one of the players asked me, I met with the football team today, um, and I met with the leadership group of the football team. And one of the players uh, asked me, uh, do you think you can find a coach within the next month? I said, I hope so. They'll need to fire me. So, so, uh, so, uh, so I was like, you know, uh, so one of the things that I wanted to really get the pulse and I know one of the things I told them today, and I don't want to give too much information as a private conversation. I know they wanted to mic me up, but I, 
So this is a conversation with the guys. Uh, I wanted to know, don't get married to any one person uh, or somebody out there. You need to let me know who you, what you think we need to do better. And that's what we talked about. What do we need to be better at? And uh, I had those conversations, and that'll help fit the profile. I've already started talking. Uh, and we're looking through and doing the research. I mean, I, I started doing that last Sunday, so or this past Sunday. You know, I told the players, the first thing I said to them, the entire team, I said, change is inevitable, okay? No matter, no matter the one constant in life is change, okay? So if you look at all the programs, I don't care if it's Power Five, Group of Five, wherever, FCS, Division Two, whatever, it is conceivable that that coach is not gonna be there in five years, the time you graduate. So you have to embrace change. And the only way that you can learn how to deal with change is you go through it. So let's use this as an opportunity, okay? So I'm not so worried about whether a coach stays. If we put the program in the right spot and we build the program, we don't build seasons, we don't build teams, we build the program, then no matter who we hire as our head coach, in any sport, they're gonna be successful, okay? So how do we win, my previous school, how did we win all the championships? We had five coaches in five years. While I was there, we had three coaches. We, won three, we had three coaches in three years, and I, we won four conference championships in four years, and, and we won three conference championships in four years. How does that happen? You build a program. Because kids know you have their best interest at heart. And so we can't, we can't uh, worry about whether coaches come or go. We can go out and hire the best coaches we could possibly hire that are available. But at the end of the day, the kids in the locker room, the students in the locker rooms are the ones that win championships. It's all about them. It's Terry Mohajer talking about, uh, well, giving, I think, dropping us some hints about the head coaching search. I, I think that this is pretty interesting about how he approached it with the players, where he's, I think he, he was more or less explicit about, hey, look, I'm not looking for a name. I'm looking for what we got to do better, what you think we need to improve, right? And you can read between the lines and say, hey, guys, I know you really like Jeff Levy, <laughs> but, uh, but, He's not, he may or may not necessarily be the right man for the job. So if, you know, so whoever the head coach is, I need your input on that. And I think that's, that's a great way to approach it. Now, the latest update from footballscoop.com is, is no kidding, right? Jeff Lebby is, uh, is a very hot candidate for UCF. No! Surprising, that's, that's I know. But uh, what what is that? What is a not what is a non update update? Yeah, the, the news is there is no news. Uh, but Eric, you said uh, you, Mark Daniels is talking about something earlier today, right? Is that right? Well, on Thursday's Mar uh, radio, Mark mentioned that suppo Terry supposedly might be focused in on a candidate, specific candidate. Now he didn't say who that is, obviously, but that doesn't really shock me. I think this is going to be a quick process. Remember. Uh, this is his second coaching search in like two months. He had a coaching search recently at Arkansas State when he hired Butch Jones. So he probably has a good idea. 
what he wants in this position. Mm -hmm. he, he already knows the candidates in play. He actually interviewed Jeff Levy at Arkansas State. There are reports out there that he didn't have the money to hire him. I'm not buying that. Um, I think that's a very exaggerated deal there. I mean, uh, I think Levy used that as leverage just to get in, uh, more money out of Ole Miss. He's now making 1.2. Uh, he did interview Rhett Lashley, who's the Miami offensive coordinator, for example. So and my, and my, my point is, a lot of the similar names you're hearing for UCF, he's probably already spoken to when he was doing this process at Arkansas State. So that doesn't surprise me that he has kind of an idea what he's going to do. I think this is going to be a quick process. I think we're going to have a new head football coach within a week. Like by the time we do this podcast next week, we will know who the next head football coach is. I would be stunned if we didn't. Did uh, Levy interviewed at Arkansas State, didn't he? In yes. December? Yes. yes I just okay. So, he, yeah. He, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously that's a name. That's the obvious name that's going to get brought up. I'm sure everybody in Jeff Levy's campus told everybody except us three, he's interested in the job. It's a really, it's not, it's the worst secret in the planet. The question is going to be, is he the right guy for this job or not? We will see. I have more questions about him than others do. I don't drink the Kool-Aid uh, that others do. I actually, expand the, the the horizons and actually want the best person for this job. I don't get sucked into what players want or fans want. Well, I thought what was funny is that the first <laughs> No shade there, from, huh? Anyway, I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. <laughs> the first question that he took from the media on Wednesday was about the football head coaching search. And so he was really reluctant to give specifics about, like, you know, who he might be looking at or the type of coach. But then later on in the press conference – he talks about UCF's standard of offense and says explosive offense is what you've got to have. Whoever has the most explosive plays in a game wins 95% of the time. Uh, and so you're like, oh, okay, so he's going to hire an offensive coach. Like, thank you for letting us know. And I feel like we've already covered that, right, Eric? Like, we've already covered, like, his yeah. candidates. Yeah, we broke this down. I mean, we've broken down this timeline. UCF Fast is not dead yet, stat there boy Drew. <laughs> well, we broke this down on night shift weeks ago. We The timeline has conned what we thought. We thought there'd be an AD in place by around the Super Bowl time. That's exactly what has happened. And I expect the next head coach to be in place by the time first pitch is thrown for UCF baseball. Uh, so I, I think we're on the I think we're fine from a timeline. And yeah, you look at the track record. We've written about this right now in Black Eagle Bennett. He's an offensive guy. That's who he hired at Arkansas State. He hired, uh, for example, uh, Brian Hartson to replace Gus Malzahn. That's a name to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, to take over at Arkansas State. He hired, uh, you know, Blake Anderson, who's probably kicking himself right now. If, if you're Anderson, you're thinking, man, if I would have just stuck around for a few couple extra months, I might have a shot at this UCF head coaching job instead of going to freaking Logan, Utah. Heck, he's already got UCF coaches he could bring with him from Logan, <laughs> Utah. Um <laughs> So, you know, bummer for him, but I think it's one of those deals where I think he, yeah, it's going to be an offensive guy. I think the question is going to be which offensive guy, because he's got some options there. I think this is a short list. Uh, it is worth pointing out that the same firm, which I, by the way, I, you, did you catch this Murph when you were there? He thanked the firm and he mentioned him by name which tells me that this, the firm was the one that found him. It, this was not, hey, Cartwright knew this guy. I'm going to call him. I'm going to call my buddy, and let's try to see if we want to reunite or whatever. No, no. I think the firm said, hey, reached out to him. 
So credit to the firm. That's why, and I think we've said this in previous podcasts, you have to do a search because you never know who's interested. And I think one of the reasons why Terry's name never came up is I don't know if people assume, people probably didn't assume that he would leave his alma mater. So credit to the firm. This is how the process works. Well, when you're when you're spending thousands of dollars to employ said firm to do search, you better use it. Yeah. Um, also, I want to I thank would, the firm: Tom Cruise, Gene Hackman, Gene Triplehorn, the whole. A great John, a great John Grisham novel. Yes. Um, I I'll actually go. I'll do like Price is Right action on Eric here, and I'll go if Eric says he'll be shocked if it's done if it's not done by Wednesday. I'll say we have a head coach by Monday. I agree with that. I agree with that. All right, I'll go further prices right action. I think we'll probably have an idea of who it is by the time we're done recording this show, and then we're going to have to go all the way back and do this whole thing again. Standard black and gold banner up yep, procedure. Exactly. A uh, couple, couple other names before we go to a break, uh, aside from Lebby, that, who interviewed with uh, Terry Mohajer at Arkansas. By the way, he was joking, too, about, am I the first guy to hire two head coaches at two different institutions in the same offseason? Um Rhett Lashley interviewed with him for A-State, uh, as did, uh, he's the offensive coordinator at Miami, as did Phil Longo, the OC at uh, North Carolina. Um, we have them on our list, our short list of candidates uh, for who will be the next UCF football head coach on Black and Gold Banneret right now. Gus! You can read that. You want Gus, baby. You got Gus in there. I don't think it's going to be Gus. I don't think it's going to be Gus. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be – my prediction, it's going to be either Lashley, Lebby, and Gus. That doesn't narrow it down, you know. <laughs> well, I think it, the thing that, no, but what I'm really fascinated about – I predict it will be one of the five guys we have on that article I think, I that think I wrote. Best, I think Gus is by far the best candidate. It's not even close. The question is, is he interested? Is he motivated? Uh, to be at UCF. I don't know the answer to that. Only Gus knows the answer to that. And I don't know what Gus's role is in this. I know he's going to have a role. It's either I'm interested in this job or he's going to tell Terry who he thinks is the best guy for this job. And I would expect that he would tell him if that's the, if that's the, 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 the route that Gus takes, I think he will recommend Rhett Lashley, who was his offensive coordinator at, Ar- at Arkansas State and Auburn, who's been a Broyles finalist. So I, I personally think those are the best guys. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's Lebby because Lebby was here. And I think if Jeff Lebby is hired, I think he will bring Kevin Smith, which I think is an attractive part of this equation. And I think he would probably keep Randy Shannon and most of the defensive staff. So I think it would be status quo, which is ironic since most fans hated status quo about four weeks ago. So um, we'll see what happens. But I would be surprised if it's not one of those three guys. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. And when we do, Eric, you want to do a uh, night shift when it happens, when it, when it comes down? As long as, as long as it doesn't happen during baseball or softball, right, Murph? <laughs> I, I mean, we have priorities. Like, you know, sleep. You know, that's that's something that we can well, do. Well, I do so. have Australian Open tennis, so uh, that's, that's, not a, that's not a priority. Anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk some basketball and uh, update you on volleyball off to a very good start. And who did women's tennis sweep this week? Huge opponent. We'll let you know when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. We're back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you. Uh, follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold where if you were following along with us live last night, uh, you would have seen the, uh, the instant reaction to UCF men's basketball's 
Difficult loss to uh, Wichita State. Now, mind you, this is UCF's first home game back after that four-game and eight-day road trip, so they're still pretty tired. Uh, and a game that, you know, you it looked like Wichita State was grabbing control uh, in the second half. It was pretty tight throughout. Real, I thought it was a really good game. U- Wichita led by six at the half. UCF came back in the second half and had a shot in the final seconds. It looked like all was lost, uh, Brian Murphy. But then in uh, quick succession, uh, Darius Perry kind of took over in that last minute. Had a, an and one. Down four, got an and one with under 10 seconds left. Uh, and this is after Alterique Gilbert hit a three that sucked all the air out of the building. Um, mm-hmm. Then, uh, after a couple of fouls that UCF had to give, because they only committed, I think, four fouls at that point in the entire second half, um, Perry forces a turnover on the inbounds that they reviewed and, and gave the ball to UCF. Then he got the ball with, uh, un- with seven seconds left. Took it to the hole, pulled up for a fadeaway fifteen uh, footer that was just off the back iron, and that was the and that was the end result. Sixty one to sixty um, was the final. It was it, it was a uh, it was a heartbreaker. And Darius Perry last night was he was sublime. Uh, ten of nineteen from the field, twenty seven points, four rebounds, five of ten from three point range. Um, but it, he needed one more, and uh, and it just wasn't there for him. This was a this was a tough one to swallow because it really did feel like. UCF had, I, I thought, had Wichita. They just needed to start making some shots, and then they did. And then when Darius had that look, I was like, "Wow, we're gonna get, you know, we're we're getting a shot at this." And it was just off. But what a game by him! It's too bad. No, absolutely, and and really, his last couple games has been a fantastic score for them. I believe he's ten for eighteen from three in his last two games against uh, Tulsa and Wichita State. You know, UCF, I mean, a couple extra, a bounce here, a bounce there. UCF could be 2-0 and against Wichita State this year. We, we, you know, we talked last week about how they blew leads uh, at Wichita State 10 days ago, uh, late, you know, late in the bowl game. And, and this one, it was a much tighter game, uh, back and forth, some lead changes late, but no one led by more than four points for the last 12 minutes of the game. Um, and it, 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 it does it does come down to Darius Perry getting that look, driving left, getting to about the free throw line, maybe 15 feet, getting a step back to create space, getting a shot up, a, a, a really a shot that wasn't as difficult as the fall away he had hit from the elbow a few minutes earlier, and it just goes a little left and bounces bounces out, and uh, as it falls to the floor, so did Darius, and um, you could see him pass half court he just sort of uh, balls up uh at, at half court with his head uh, head against the floor um in in anguish and it it's it is too bad it, it you know right now this team i still think has shown that it's back on the upswing uh i know the results haven't always been there certainly the losses against wichita state people you know it's it's not great it's not what you want uh and even the loss the second loss against memphis it was a double-digit. It was a double-digit score, but that was a close game, which UCF couldn't make a three-pointer to save their lives, even though they shot 23 of them. I think this team has played much better in the last couple of weeks, and you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged by, by, from what I've seen from them as far as passing the ball, making better decisions. You know, don't forget in the first Wichita State meeting, UCF turned it over 23 times. They turned it over 12 times last night. They've committed only two, uh, 22 turnovers in the last two games. 
that was their that was their bugaboo on that on that really that entire road trip. So if they take care of the ball like they have been, they've shot the ball well. They've made smart decisions. They're still defending very well. They've you know they they've given up uh, only sixty one and fifty eight points last two games. Um, I, I think this team is is doing a lot of good things. It's just sometimes the results aren't there right now. I, I do share your sentiment that there feels like a little there feel, it feels like they're starting to build that momentum and that they're figuring out who they are. Um, we saw it in the Tulsa game. Uh, first win for UCF men's basketball at Tulsa, seven point victory, sixty five fifty eight last Saturday. And uh, you know you mentioned how good Darius was, eighteen on six of ten. Um, and they kept the turnover numbers down, which is good. But, you know, but they, it feels like they. One of the other things that they've done in those last two games is they figured out a big man situation. Um, Jamil Reynolds has worked his way back into the starting lineup, um, and even though he didn't play that many minutes against Tulsa, he got into a little bit of foul trouble. But um, also, Avery Diggs has worked his way back into the lineup, and we saw him play in spots back and forth with um, with Jamil. And how big has that been? That you know th- th- that Johnny's just said, look, we're gonna we're gonna in, we're gonna run some big lineups out there with these two guys. Um, you know, is is it the same as running Taco out there? No, but at least it gives the opponents something else to look at, right? You know, at this point, they have to play Avery because they literally have no other option. Um, so <laughs> we, I, I forgot to mention it on the show last week, people people probably saw it that uh, I think it was actually during one of the Memphis games, uh, it was it was uh, put on Twitter that Ibrahim Fumuke Dumbia, the, six, the rangy six-foot-seven six forward, is in the transfer portal. He's going to transfer out. We talked to Johnny about that last week, and uh, Johnny gave his blessing on, on Ibrahim moving on. Talked about how, you know, Ibrahim uh, did graduate, and, and so he's very happy about that. Um, you know, he's been in this program for a few years, so... Uh, but without it, without him, you really only, you have to put it on the big. And Avery Diggs is somebody who was sort of like, I mean, really, he looked like another walk-on. They just they they had stopped playing him. He was he was just not playable. Yeah, he was at all. persona non grata for basically the first I mean, half of the season. Definitely, but now they have to because UCF is running so short on bodies. You know, they they're they're, they're playing a nine man. They're basically playing a nine man rotation. They only have nine guys on scholarship. <laughs> they have to play them. Uh, so, you know, this is, you know, so, so he's getting out there. He has, he has played well. He definitely played pretty well against Tulsa. Um, didn't make as much of an impact against Wichita State. But I will say a lot of that was because of the defense that Wichita State did in that game on Wednesday night. Much better in switching. Uh, they, they really focused on Jamil Reynolds. He got in foul trouble again on Wednesday night. But really good, really good job with him on switching in the paint. Keeping UCF on the perimeter, I believe in the first meeting at Wichita, UCF had 46 paint points, and in this game they only had 16. Uh, it's, it was, it, I think that was something that Wichita State knew they had to do better, and they did. Uh, again, in a one-point game, it's a gigantic reason why the result was what it was. Um, but yeah, UCF is, is playing more baby digs because they have to. They can't. They can't wear out CJ Walker and Jamil, Jamil Reynolds 30 minutes a night. Uh, yeah. They have to find minutes from somebody. And to his credit, I think he has been uh, serviceable. Uh, I, I wanted to also heap some praise on uh, C.J. Walker because even though the um, e- even though the scoring you know is is kind of there and only fits and starts, gosh, that kid can rebound. It's unbelievable watching. He, he, I have he's the most fun player I've seen rebounding 
like in basketball, because rebounding is not fun to watch, but he's the most fun rebounder I've seen since Dennis Rodman. <laughs> I mean, it, and, and I know, and I know, I know, I know, but just, just bear with me here. Like Dennis Rodman was an, uh, you know, what can you say about him? He was a spectacular rebounder, but rebounding is kind of, you know, down and dirty. It's not all that spectacular. CJ Walker can outleap anybody on the basketball floor. And you see him get to some 50, 50 balls that are just like, how does that dude get up and get the ball? It is really something. So what's it, the rebounding is there. The defense is there for him. I think he's been so good on defense. Um, when the offense comes around, and it will come around, I really do believe that if they get, you know, if when we head toward next year, um, you know, he's going to be even more of an offensive threat. Boy, that's going to be that's going to be fun to watch. Now that brings me to my next question, Mark, because we were thinking about this last night. You got a guy like Dar- you got a guy like Darius Perry who is a senior. All right. Now a lot of guys have their. This is basically a free year, a free year of eligibility, so they can come back if they want. Um, but UCF's roster right now, in terms of seniors, all right, you have uh, you have Darius, you have Avery Diggs, who's a senior, you have Brandon Mahan. Um, those are your three seniors, and of course you have two redshirt juniors in Sean Mobley and Moses Bowl. Um, of those guys right now, based on what you know and what you think, are any of these guys going to come back and take that extra year of eligibility next year? Well, the juniors will. I imagine. By the way, we haven't seen Moses Bull in weeks. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know if he's he's on the team. I really don't. Um, uh, but I would be surprised if if Darius or Brandon Mahan came back. Uh, not because like oh they're gonna go to the draft or whatever like no I don't think that's true but um you know I do feel like they have a basketball future somewhere if they want to take advantage of it now uh, whereas I, I don't think Avery Diggs does so if I could see him taking that extra year to just say like hey you know my my basketball career has a very very short finite shelf life and I'm giving I'm getting an extra opportunity to play it why don't I take advantage of that whereas I do think that you know Brandon and Darius have possible overseas professional opportunities if they wanted to. Um, but again, that's, that's, again, this is guessing. And we also, as I mentioned all the time with this sort of stuff with guys, you know, will they, or when they come back, we don't know anybody's personal situation. And right. that's mostly what, mostly what all this comes down to is, you know, what can they afford as far as personally with their, with their families and their lives to spend another year in college or move on. Uh, that's really more, you know, that's really more what, what what's baked into the decision rather than their basketball future. Just what's their future in life? We talked about this with Jacob Harris, the UCF football wide receiver, who who uh, did did not decide to come back uh, for his extra year. Basically, and, and basically admitted later on, like he didn't come back because he'd been in college for a long time and wanted <laughs> to get started doing something else. I don't want to be in college anymore. I'm like, man, do you realize that you're going to spend the rest of your life wishing you were back in college? <laughs> Right, but I do think in sort of in and then sort of in like a Jake in like a Jake Hescock kind of way, where I think Jake Hescock knows like his football career kind of begins and ends or well, it kind of ends in college. And I think he knows that. I think you, I, I, I see Avery Diggs as sort of a similar uh, similar guy, uh, where like he doesn't really have a, a future in the game. So if he wanted to come back and take it, like I, I could understand that. But again. Maybe he just doesn't want to be in college anymore. I mean, he transferred in from a JUCO, uh, and and then he spent the last few years here. Like maybe he's got more plans he wants to do with his life than just play basketball for another year. And then 
So again, it's all speculation, but that's my initial thoughts. Like, yeah, if I had to guess, I would say Darius and Brandon aren't back. Avery Diggs probably would be, and of course the juniors will. I just think even after watching last night, like, gosh, Darius Perry is so fun to watch. And if we had one more year with him, gosh, that would be something. You know, that would no, he's, be- I mean, it, it's been great because when, when Darren Green has really struggled to shoot the ball recently, and Darius has stepped into that role as as the team's lead sharpshooter. Yeah. He's been phenomenal in that, and obviously we we already we already talked about his his ability to lead the point and and be the best facilitator on the team. But he's also been their best scorer recently. He's yeah. really doing it all, and he and he's got that sort of. And I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week. Like he just has a dog mentality. He is he he just wants to tear your heart out. I love point guards like that too. This year he is he's the team's leading scorer uh officially at uh gosh where is it? i had for a second 14.2 points per game mahan is the second leading score at 13.7 and green at 11.4 so um and that's with only 11 games played and only five starts believe it or not so and he's shooting 40 yeah. percent from the field and 40 percent from the arc well it's been such a weird season it's been such a weird season for darius he got a late start to the season because he was hurt in the preseason uh, and then, you know, miss a few games there in the middle of the year. Um, so he's been up and down and up and down, kind of like this team. And But when he's been when he's been on the floor, this team has been really good. Uh, I mean, really, we talked about it last week, but if, you know, if they had played him more against Wichita State uh, in Wichita, they would have won that game. And I still disagree with Johnny Dawkins' decision to stick with Dre Fuller at the point in that game when, when they had, when they had uh, Darius available. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think Darius is really, really showing it now, even more so than he was in that good game against he had against USF, you know, last month or a couple months ago. He really is like, if not the best player, like the second best player on this team. He's he's fantastic right now. Yeah. So we're gonna. It's I don't know. Obviously, the the decisions are theirs to make, and you know, we're speculating way too early here with all these games left. But um, we wait, we wait and see. And in the meantime, uh, coming up this week. For uh, UCF after that brutal, again, after that brutal road trip uh, to Lane on uh, Friday, uh, which we're recording this on Thursday at 7 p.m., back on the road for Cincinnati on Valentine's Day before they're back home for South Florida on Wednesday, February 17th. Uh, yeah. the everything, two- everything is really bunched together. Like, yeah. you talk about, like, well, they're, still, they're tired. Well, they better not be because they got two more games in the next, you know, 72 hours. Yeah. So it's. And, and- yeah, so it's like two, it's two two days in a game, two days in a game, three days in a game, three days, three days. Here are the breaks: three days, four days, three days, two days. It's it's a, it's a rough stretch. I know people are like you know frustrated with the the lack of victories, but again, the play has been better. The games have been close. There's like near hits and miss. There's like near misses on, on some of these losses, and people should not forget how adrift this team was just a few weeks ago coming out of its COVID pause yeah. when it couldn't practice for like three yeah. weeks as a full well, team. Well, let's be real here. This is the worst college basketball season of all time. And I'm not being – I mean, it's atrocious. It's it's, it's it's a season, honestly, I, the happiest I will be is when this season – and I'm talking about in general. I'm not talking – I'm talking about in the whole sport. The last game of the season is played in Indianapolis. I will be thrilled that it's put behind us because this has been a – Awful year. It's, um, it's it's a year that like should, like like you talk about the players getting an extra year. We should all get an extra year because yes. none of this should actually be happening. 
None of this existing. And, and by the way, for all you Dawkins critics, okay, let me just read you this. Kentucky, way below 500. They're going to miss the NCAA tournament. Duke, under 500. They're going to miss the NCAA tournament. Michigan State's at 500. They're going to miss the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's three blueprints, top programs, Hall of Fame, national champion head coaches that are having bad seasons because of the circumstances that we're dealing with. So I'm sorry, Dawkins is getting a pass this year, just like everybody in college basketball that's having a bad year is getting a pass because this is an atrocity of a season that and, probably, period. And teams have been not, it's like, you know, people again have to remember that UCF went three weeks without a five on five practice. Right. And not, right. It's not like they're the only ones. There have been so many teams across the college basketball landscape, like Clemson and other teams who had, who started out well. And then had COVID pauses, and they've never gotten back on track because it's really difficult to do that when the season is so disjointed. There have been 20, as of now, there have been 20 AAC conference games that have been postponed due to COVID. Every team has been involved either directly or indirectly with a COVID outbreak in their program or because their games got postponed because their opponents had an outbreak. And this is only going to get, this is only going to continue. Memphis went on a pause last night on Wednesday due to uh, COVID cases in their program. Uh, this this season is completely effed up. Uh, and so people who it's are- It's a shit Creek type of a season, isn't it? It's Bruce? a shit Creek type of a season. And so people, I get, I get your, I get like being upset and that this team, you know, hasn't really followed through on the promise they showed against FSU and Cincinnati early on, even that tough loss at home against Houston. But I mean, really the literal S hit the fan here. And now you want, and like, it's really hard to rebound from that mentally and physically. And yet, still, they sort of have shown that they're kind of rebounding a little bit. Like, with these last three games, four games, even though they haven't won them all, they've been really tough, more competitive outside of the, outside of the first game at Memphis, which was a debacle. It was really embarrassing. Everything else has been really much better. And people should remember where this team was and how adrift it was a few weeks ago. And lastly, according to Ken Palm, of the uh, eight games UCF has left, they're predicted to go six and two. And I swear to God, if this team goes six and two down the stretch. Uh, I would be thrilled. <laughs> well, they go I'd be thrilled if we got eight games in. Well, they yeah. go six and two down the stretch. That would put them at eleven and twelve heading into the conference tournament. So it's mean, fine. fine. I mean, chance that. And by the way. You don't think this team might be a threat in the conference tournament to maybe knock a few people off? I think they are. This, so. I mean, again, people show, and, and, and Wichita State is off to, I think, its second best start, or maybe its best start in American history. Like, Wichita, Wichita State's a damn good team. We've talked about them being in that mess as, like, the second best team in the conference. UCF should have beaten them twice. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, difference between, the difference between Houston and everyone else is bigger than every than than Memphis or Wichita State and everyone else, the difference between one and two is bigger than two to ten or eleven. Yeah, you're exactly right. So tough stretch coming up, but we'll see how UCF uh, deals with. It. By the way, that next game uh, against Tulane on Friday night, ESPN Plus. Since he's in ESPN Plus, South Florida's on ESPN U on Wednesday night. Uh, flipping over to the women's side right now. Speaking of games that are just oh. postponed all over the place. <laughs> They're still at they're still at nine and two, Eric Lopez. I don't know. You might you, you may have forgotten them. 
Uh, well, their last four games have been postponed. UCF's last game was January 27th against ECU. Uh, they are scheduled to be back in action on Saturday at Cincinnati at 1 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus, followed by Wednesday at Tulane. But they're not back home until they play Tulsa, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday on February um, the 20th. So, you know, right now it's... We kind of we're kind of just giving you the shruggy here, folks. We don't know what this team's going to look like after they haven't yeah. played in two weeks. They're basically starting the season over again. Yeah, <laughs> right, Murph. I mean, yeah. isn't this like that? That's the only way to describe this. So yeah. I, I don't, you know, and I feel bad because they were playing well. They were headed for that showdown with USF, great. which is, seven and yeah. one in conference. Right, and they were headed for a showdown with South Florida, which has now been pushed back to March fourth. So they're going to end the season with South Florida back to back games. But I have no idea what to expect against Cincinnati or Tulane. I don't know. Like They're starting over. It's like you're starting the season over. And again, for those that don't know, the reference we made earlier, Shits Creeks, the, the Emmy Award-winning TV show, Murph, is that right? Is there, look, I don't watch TV. Has it, have the Emmys <laughs> already been done? Like, is that, is, is, Murph does movies, it? Eric. You should know this by now. <laughs> it's true. It's a, it's a TV show that won the Emmys. But that's I would apply this to the women's as well. And it's tough because when they last played, they were in Charlie Cream's uh, bracketology. Ironically, they've moved up two spots without playing, which you know speaks to the level. <laughs> they're of quality. At 40, they're yeah. at forty-eight right now, by the way. Should mention. Yeah, yeah, it's a good number. But the problem is, I have no idea. Cincinnati's not good this year, but I have no idea how they're going to come out. Remember when the men came out after that long layoff at Temple and how rusty they looked? They might. The women might look the same. But the good news is, I will say, the women have always based on defense. And defense kind of should carry over. The offense might struggle, but the women are used to winning on defense alone. That's your best case scenario if you're a UCF fan. That's the hope that the defense can carry them while they're this through this rust that they're probably going to have. Should note that it's a good thing that they have all that time to work out that rust because South Florida right now is 15th in the uh, in the RPI and they're at 10 and one right now. Um, but they but again, like we said, because of the quirkiness of the schedule. They get him back to back to end the season, which if UCF is able to, you know, keep things together, uh, and so is South Florida, boy, that is a that is as big a two game stretch in the regular season for UCF women's basketball as I can remember. Is that right, Eric? I mean, can you remember be, a bigger if we if we can get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> if we get to that point. Fingers crossed, uh, we know. We'll see. <laughs> it depends if those teams, but I don't know. I don't know what to expect here. I don't rem- I got to re-remember this team. I it's been yes. that long. I feel like the last time that we saw them play, uh I don't think nobody uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were like an afterthought for the NFL Super Bowl. So, that's <laughs> how long it's been. Uh, and by the way, Eugene Levy is one of the stars of that show, Murph. So you, it's a good, you know, you just, just saying. You and the mom from Home Alone. And Chris Elliott. Remember Chris Elliott? And and da- and Daniel Levy, who hosted SNL last yeah. week, and his teen son. And they also did win nine Emmys last year. Right. And I completely forgot about Come that. Come on, Murph. Uh, it's been a long uh, year. Again, again, I'm watching movies. Uh, <laughs> Promising Young Woman. People should watch that. Uh, I, I, and also, like, let's say you said when basketball comes back on the floor as eric said the rust and what do they look like we don't really know what the practice schedule has been like for this team how often they've practiced if they've been able to practice with a full roster or partially full roster three on three do they have enough for five on five it's just so messy Uh, you just don't know right 
I know. Let's hope so. Let's hope they can figure it out because they all are, as a group, they're a very promising women on that team moving forward. Wow. Uh, that was way too Long, easy. Young women. And it's just not going to count, all right? Uh, Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati right now, I should mention, yeah, like you said, not having a very good season uh, in uh, in the women's basketball. Uh, in women's basketball, they, they've kind of been a disappointment. I thought they would be a little bit better this year, especially after what they did last year. They're four and twelve. So if you're going to start the season uh, or restart your season, it's better to do it against a team that's four and twelve this year. Well, let's hope. I mean, I thought the same thing when the men opened at Temple. You just don't know. Hopefully, yeah. fingers crossed. All right, we'll take a break. When we return. A little grab bag of, of news and notes from around the UCF world of sports. Volleyball with another sweep. They're off to a great start. Uh, we'll ha- also talk about the starts for soccer, tennis, uh, and plenty more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. All right, we're back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Let's uh, catch you up on everything else that's going on in the world of sports. UCF volleyball is 6-0. and oh. They uh, knocked off Jacksonville in a sweep. They knocked off Tulane twice uh, in four sets. By the way, the Tulane uh, matches over the past weekend um, were not conference matches. Officially, they were non-conference matches, even though Tulane and UCF obviously are in the same conference. But conference play begins officially for UCF uh, on uh, this Thursday at Temple. Two matches at Temple. But this uh, UCF volleyball team is off to a... uh, Pretty doggone good start. They've only lost three sets the entire season so far, Eric Lopez. And coming off that win at Jacksonville, they look like they're ready for uh, for conference play. But I think that that, that double victory against uh, – those two victories against Tulane, I think, were huge because Tulane was picked to finish second in the West. And uh, they made short work of them on Friday. It was a tougher match on Saturday. Tulane did some things that kind of threw UCF a little bit off. But uh, McKenna Melville came up big. Uh, once again, she was too shy of her career high in kills of 26. And it was just one of those things where she's the, you know, she's like the Jordan of the team, right? I mean, when when it seems like things are going wrong, you know, she kind of steps in and says, we're just not going to lose today, guys. I'm sorry. And uh, and helps the team go to uh, 6-0. and Really impressive start for UCF Volleyball. Yeah, I mean, she was, I mean, you're right. I mean, when in doubt, go to McKenna. McKenna averaged over five kills per set. Okay, for the weekend there in that Tulane yeah. series. That's a lot. <laughs> she's over, uh, she's about 84 kills away from being in the top 10 all time. 88 away from being eighth all time in kills in UCF's uh, volleyball history. But, you know, she's been very vocal too on the court this year. Much more vocal, you know, and I think taking that leadership role. And that's something that Todd Dagenet talked about that expanded leadership that I asked Todd about, McKenna, having that leadership. And, and here's what Todd had to say. I think, you know, when you have a Jordan Pingle on the team, you have a Mackenzie Kuchmanner on the team, you know, 50-year players, um, or Christina Fisher, it's, there's only so much space to get words in. And I think, you know, McKenna is a student of the game, you know, with her mom being one of the top high school coaches in Minnesota. She's been studying volleyball since she can remember, six, seven years old. So she knows, as a matter of fact, there was a pivotal point during that run where McKenna mentioned to me, you know, why don't you try this? And I thought about it. I said, no. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. And it ended up being the difference of the sets. You know, she made that call. It's, it's like having a coach on the field or on the floor saying, I think this will work if we do this. 
And, you know, I, I let her make the call. She has, I trust her to make recommendations. And I don't take every recommendation from her, but that was the right call at the right time. And um, it, it, that made a big difference in that comeback. So, um, no, she does. She rallies the troops. She's got good things to say. She never gives up. Um, she wears her heart on her sleeve. Sometimes that's, most of the times that's good. Sometimes it's not so good. We have to talk about it. But uh, she's clearly the leader of this group. Um, now, the professionals on the team are going to take the feedback or the criticism, and then they're going to go forward with it and do good things. Uh, the ones that aren't or are a little more insecure aren't going to take it as well. And, and unfortunately, they're going to fall behind because she's out there doing what a leader does on a team that has big aspirations, and she's, she's leading and she's holding herself accountable. She's holding her teammates accountable. She's willing the team to win, a lot like what Jordan Pingle did. And um, a, a, a good team, a team that has a chance at championships, has to have one of those that is believable, not lip service, believable. Well, Todd's right. And, you know, let's, let's just sit back for a second and admire what this team has done. Really, um, you know, since we've had McKenna Melville and, this, and that group that she's a part of, since they came on board. Get this, Eric. UCF has won 18 of its last 24 matches against teams from the state of Florida. They've won 58 of their last 70 overall and 42 of the last 46 against teams from the American. That's, I mean, any way you slice it, that's just phenomenal. And this team is in, uh, and, and as they start American play, this, you know, this month, you know, I, I think that that is one of the things that Todd has said time and time again is you, you don't want to have to rely on McKenna for that many swings. Um, but they did, and they had to do it. But, you know, I think one of the other players who's really, who's really stepped up this year is Anne-Marie Watson because we've seen how she, you know, if she would have a bad game on defense sometimes, it would kind of bleed over into her offense. And that has not happened. She's had some games where initially they kind of struggled. Teams have, and I think Tulane actually, you know, actively tried to do that in the second match. They tried to just take her out and then force McKenna to try and beat them. And guess what? It didn't really work all that well um, because UCF got the victory um, anyway. And uh, here's Anne Marie after that match um, talking about uh, about what the Knights have to do going forward. Definitely like the energy that we all have and uh, that all happens. And I think that happens with every kind of block. You know, you see the sideline, you know, when Matt gets a block, something like that. We all get really excited for that. All right. That was Anne-Marie Watson there. And obviously talked about defensively and the setup. They're one of the big blockers. So, look, I think they're they're playing well. But now they got it some time off before they start on the road in conference. We'll see how that comes out. As, as you know, Todd would say now it's zero and zero moving forward here. Uh, what you've done here before really doesn't matter. You've got to win the league, especially in a year where it's a 48 team field. I don't know if this league is going to. In fact, I don't. I know. I don't think this is going to be a two bid league. Uh, you know, I think it's it's whoever wins the automatic bid is probably going to be in the tournament. And I think this, whoever doesn't in the final probably is going to be stressing on selection uh, the selection day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and we know how this situation is going to go, right? UCF is going to play eight conference matches against their against their four opponents. Um, they're not going to be back home for uh, a while now. As we take a look at the uh, as I want to pull up the schedule here real quick and take a look at it. Um, they are at Temple on the 18th and 19th. They have this weekend off at Temple on the 18th and 19th. Then they're home from Miami on the 26th. Uh, back on the road uh, 
from Miami on the 28th, and then their 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 next their first home conference match is almost a month from now, March the 5th against ECU. This is a long period of time for them to be um, a mostly away from home and b not playing um, conference matches all that much, but. Uh, after that, it's ECU at home, Cincinnati on the road the following week, and then South Florida to wrap it up at the end of March. So keep an eye on that. We're still waiting on – I'm still waiting on volleyball RPIs, by the way. Come on, RPI. Let's get it going here. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Yes. Uh, soccer, real quick. Women's soccer starts on Sunday. That's Valentine's Day at Temple. Uh, their exhibition against Miami was uh, shelved last week, but we're going to have our uh, preseason preview interview with Tiffany Roberts. Hey, that coming up right after uh, this podcast on your feed. We're going to get it up on uh, Friday We're going to have a morning. lot of podcasts. Got a lot of preview podcasts. It's going to be podcast of Palooza this spring. Men's soccer. Eric Lopez off to a bit of a bumpy start. They opened up at home last Saturday against Tulsa, and they got beat one to nothing um, by the Golden Hurricane. It was uh, Alex Minard with a goal for the Golden Hurricane nine minutes in. Um, and, uh, and this was a Tulsa team that kind of matched UCF shot for shot, kind of played their own game against them. Nine shots for each side. Um, UCF had a marked advantage in corners, nine to one, put a lot of pressure on them late, but just couldn't get one in. What happened? They got outplayed, uh, especially in the first 25 minutes. Uh, Tulsa came prepared to play, attacked them, and UCF was playing on their heels. And Scott Calabrese told me that afterwards. He, he wasn't pleased with their, the way his team came out and that, you know, Tulsa was way more prepared at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear that Tulsa came ready. Um, Tulsa was, uh, was ready to compete, was ready to work, uh, made it really clear right in the beginning of the game that, that they were here for the result. Um, and, you know, if we're going to be completely honest about our performance in that first 15, 20 minutes, I mean, they had a chance in their first attack where they probably should have scored. Um, so right away, not even two minutes in, we're not ready. Um, you know, and then, of course, they, they, they get the goal. And that, that goal is a second ball where we just run out to the ball. We leave – I mean, there's probably three guys who could have headed that ball in. Um, so we weren't, we weren't ready for the start of this game. And, you know, when you're not ready to compete, um, you, you open up a door. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, in, in this case is, is one of those times you go one nil down. And then when you finally do figure out, okay, this is what, this is what competing is, um, and, and you start to match that density. Uh, and then, of course, once, once you do, you earn your right to play in the game, right? Because now, now you get to dictate the terms of the game. Uh, but, you know, it was too late for us. That was Scott Calabrese's postgame following the loss to Tulsa. And first home loss since 2018 against UC Irvine in regulation in the regular season. Yeah. Uh, tough spark. I mean, they struggled. They really didn't play well for the first 25 minutes. Got out play. They were lucky. They were only down one nothing. They played better in the second half. But, you know, the question I'm going to have, and I think it's the question for everybody, is how do they replace a great player like Cal Jennings, a multiple-time All-American, one of maybe arguably the greatest striker in program history alongside Yanni uh, Ritvidman, probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. I, can they replace that production from Cal, the Cal Jennings and the threat that Cal Jennings was, where you had to mark him with multiple guys? Can they replace him in a short spring season? 
that's a tall order. They did not pass the first test against Tulsa. They we'll see how they do, and now they go on yeah. the road at Temple here this weekend. Yeah, you know, the issue is they just have such a. We talked about this with Scott, right? They have such a small margin for error in a, in an eight games or in a was it a ten match season? And you know, Gino Vivi had uh, three shots, one on goal. Um, Yoni Sorokin had a, had an opportunity. They also got some opportunities from Hottie Berry and um, and Luca Dorado, the newcomer. But um, you know, it, tough breaks, tough breaks. Alex Menard was was really good for for Tulsa. Um, you know, and uh, and they're going to have you know UCF's going to have to figure something out at Temple in Philly on ESPN Plus uh, Saturday, February thirteenth, seven p.m. Is that? And then the next home game for UCF, Warren I four, big matchup with USF. Uh, on Saturday, February 20th, and that'll be on ESPN Plus as well. So we talked about um, soccer teams. Let's talk over. To, let's hop over to tennis, who are off to a very good start. The women, Eric Lopez, five and two to start, and they sweep the home and home with Florida. They beat the Gators in Gainesville uh, on Tuesday, four to one. Uh, it, like I said, in Gainesville. Um, even though their their number one team in doubles got beat, two and three got victories, uh, and then in uh, singles it came down to uh, it came down to the very end. But UCF uh, got the W on the number one uh, single side. Rebecca Stolmar um, scored the or basically got the winning uh, got the winning points in the match for UCF and uh, the women's tennis team right now is at number twenty in the ITA Oracle Collegiate Tennis Rankings. And Eric, I think. They served some notice to people because uh, Florida came in um, to this match. They were also ranked, but uh, at, ranked at 22. But UCF leapfrogs them, and I think the Knights, we can now say this, right? They are a legit national contender. Yeah, I think everybody knew that before the season. Uh, you know, they schedule tough, and they get the home-and-home home sweep of Florida. That's huge for them. Stomar has been good. They're deep. They bring pretty much everybody back. I think this is a team that's going to be in the top 20 all year long, and it's going to battle to get a high seed, and uh, man, I mean, they're just a machine that's rolling. And I think they're the heavy favorites in the American. And they, they've they been clicking after kind of the first slow start where they lost two matches. But remember, the two losses were to teams that were ranked in the top, I think, 15. So. And they were on the road, too, back-to-back. On the road, correct. So I, I think they're they're figuring things out. they got some new talent in there that's stepping up. So, yeah, good things uh, ahead here for the team. And we're going to see uh, Miami's receiving votes. They're going to play... Uh, Miami next on Saturday uh, before they go on the road out to Texas ne- next week. But uh, uh, Miami comes here on uh, Saturday, February 13th at noon. Meanwhile, over on the men's side, they are 2-1. Um, beat uh, They actually beat Miami to get back above 500, 4-3, uh, down in Coral Gables. Uh, and uh, the highlights from that match, um, UCF again uh, did get the... Uh, did get the doubles point. Gabriel DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand led the way with uh, their win at the number one spot. Uh, and then UCF got the uh, the clincher from Mikhail Sokolovsky, who beat Oren Vassar on the number six court to uh, to uh, take the W. That was in three sets. It two of the matches, or excuse me, three of the matches went to uh, three sets, and it was four, five, and six. And uh, even though Miami won two of them, Sokolovsky getting that um, getting that last victory was the uh, was the clincher for UCF, who's now two and one. And uh, in the rankings are at number 18 now. 18 and rolling. They beat. I mentioned they beat Miami. They, by the way, they just added. They literally just added this week 
the number 12 ranked Georgia Bulldogs. They're going to be in Athens this Saturday. <laughs> oh, they added. Okay. Yeah, they've added Georgia to the schedule. John Roddick, man, making making moves. He's like, yeah, we'll just add the 12th ranked team on the road. I don't care. Let's play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in uh, Athens on Saturday, uh, on Saturday, February 13th, at a gorgeous, gorgeous facility, Lindsey Hopkins Indoor yeah, Tennis Facility. Yeah. I've been there many times. Great place to play. So that'll be a big test for them, but they're playing well. After that win against Miami, they blew out South Florida in that huge war on I-4. That's huge from a conference standpoint. Look, this, I mean, the Camps is a guy that I think has a chance to play at the next level singles-wise in the ATP Tour. Uh, I would not be surprised if we see him a couple year, few years from now in the Australian Open at like 3 in the morning. So I, I think he's that good. And I think this team is going to get good. But, man, John just likes to schedule tough, man. <laughs> so his, I don't know if they're going to ever have, like, that pretty win-loss record because they're going to play one of the toughest schedules in the country. I'm very interested to see how they match up with Georgia here on Saturday. Well, it still stands, though, that uh, after the trip to Georgia, um, basically a bus ride up and a bus ride back, um, they, they only have one road trip outside of the state of Florida after that. And that's that that mid that middle of the season SMU Oklahoma Oklahoma State trip. So, um, yeah, like you said, still a tough schedule for UCF. But um, odds, uh, what are your odds right now? Which team has the best chance to win a national title, women's or men's? Wow, uh, I will say the women, just because they've gone deeper in postseason. They have the experience. They were they, they were in the Sweet Sixteen two years ago, whereas the men, uh, I think, are still looking for their first. NCAA tournament win in the Roddick era. They've been there a couple times, got screwed two years ago. They should have won that first round. got screwed on a controversial call. But I would give the slight edge to the women for this year just because they have that experience of making that run to the Sweet 16. All right, so we'll keep an eye on them going forward. And, Eric, this weekend, softball is here. Murph, bat, ball, glove. Huh? <laughs> the three magical words right there, folks. Softball begins its 20th season this weekend in Fort Myers against Florida Gulf Coast. We've got a special black and gold banneret softball preview show. We'll have Cindy Ball Malone on the show. We got Aaliyah White and Jasmine Esparza from Softball Media Availability. Over an hour, baby, of softball talk. We'll get you set, Murph. I dare you, Murph. Next week, can you give me an hour of baseball talk? An hour. Hopefully not, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the soft. <laughs> let, let me ask you this though: the uh, they're starting the season in Fort Myers. Is this when was the last time we started on the road in uh, with a series that wasn't a tournament? Uh, Why wow. wasn't it? Yeah, but but part of the I have mean, I stumped softball Woj? Well, it's been a while. I mean, Whoa. it's been a while. And the reason is because with COVID, there's been a lot of changes to the schedule. We get into that with Coach Ball Malone in the interview I had with her. But uh, honestly, you're better off not playing in tournaments right now because you, you're likely to have a team that opts out and things like that. Uh, this team was supposed to play at the marquee tournament in Clearwater uh, for ESPN to start the season. Obviously, that got scrapped. So they had to do some juggling on the scheduling. But she did more than fine on that. Florida Gulf Coast is very good. Good di dynamic offense. A team that's going to compete for the A-Sun Championship. So a lot of double headers. I think you're going to see a lot of that in softball as you adapt to the schedule because you're going to adjust from time to time with weather and COVID and things like that. So you're going to see a lot of double headers. The good news is this team is pretty deep uh, pitching-wise and offensively. 
Uh, they're very strong. The thing is, they got a target in their back now. They're top 25 in every poll, second time in program history that they start the year in the top 25. How do they handle those expectations now after kind of, you know, quote-unquote, sneaking up on people in 2020? Can they continue that momentum that they had in 2020? Time will tell. But it's an exciting team, and, you know, to start out at Florida Golf Coast. But, yeah, that's going to be the norm here you're not going to see tournaments with UCF involved because, again, it's a lot easier to schedule one team to try to put a tournament together with protocols in place. Now, for this Florida Gulf Coast series, it is four games, two games, two games each on two days, two consecutive days, Saturday and Sunday. You can watch those live for free on YouTube if you go to uh, if you look up Florida Gulf Coast, um, they stream their uh, their Olympic sports on YouTube, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So, By the way, the answer was not that hard. It was 2019 was the last time they did not open in a tournament. Oh. They hosted Old Miss uh, on a Thursday. No, but I'm talking, about on, I'm talking about on the road, opening up on the road in a non-tournament situation. Uh, I don't think we have. We haven't done that one in a while. I, I mean, they usually play in tournaments, so you're probably right. I mean, we probably got to go back to the A-Sun years, probably A-Sun years when they started on the road. Maybe right. at – Playing, but even then, that might have been neutral fields. So you're right. They, it's a very rare thing. But uh, everything in sports over the last year has been rare and unique. Right, Murph? That's right. <laughs> uh, and and uh, for Murph's good measure, uh, baseball starts on the 19th on Friday with three against FAU, one at home, two on the Bat road. ball glove, Murph. Bad ball glove. So I was on campus for, obviously, the Mohaja press conference on Wednesday, and I was distracted a little bit because the gates to John Uliano Field were wide open. And, and you just couldn't help yourself, could you? You could hear the pings coming from inside the park, and uh, I, 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 I almost, uh, you know, snuck a look, but I didn't want to, like, have Greg Lovelady spot me. And then get tired of me in February. It's way too early in the year for Greg Lovelady to get sick of me. Yeah, we so. love Coach. Coach Lovell never gets sick of you, Murph. What are you talking about? So, oh, all right, nineteenth yeah. uh, for uh, UCF baseball to start up. All I'm right, optimistic, Murph. We're gonna get an hour of baseball talk next week. Don't all worry, right. I'm optimistic. I'm telling you, I don't know how, how, who, or what, but we're gonna get an hour talk, buddy. We're gonna get an. Hour. We're gonna we, do we our daggum best. I'll tell you that. It might just be me and you talking for an hour about this. We could just replay the Chad Matola interview, too, to make up for that time. <laughs> so <laughs> funny, Eric, are we going to put that on the YouTube? We're putting it on video, part of Baseball Week, baby, on our YouTube page. Yeah! Make it, we should, like, the, the, Chad, the Chad Matola video thing is like the new, like, we apologize to Matt Damon, we'll get him on the next show. Like, that's our new one again. <laughs> All right, so we will have that. Listen, stay with us on Twitter. UCF underscore Banneret is where you want to be because once UCF gets a head football coach, we will bring you the news. Um, if you were, uh, and again, you know, we're going to be keeping an eye on that, and when we get that, we will also have uh, a night shift, I would imagine. So we will we'll send out word about that on our Twitter feed as well. I mean, it's it's up to you, Jeff. I mean, really, these. I know. Listen. No, I get. Like, I get it. But it's also, you know, I mean, we have to have some some ability to sleep a little bit. But we'll have that. Make sure you follow us at Facebook.com/slash Black and Gold Banneret, and also Black and Gold where we are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. Thanks again to you guys. Thanks again to all of our staff. And thanks, as usual, to everyone uh, who listens. Make sure you leave a rating for us if you subscribe to us, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you don't, um, please uh, subscribe. 
And uh, also, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. And uh, the more UCF fans we have listening to our show, the better, as far as we're concerned. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy and all of us here at Blackfield Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you later on next week.